we've been Daly and I've been negotiating this uh, through the. Uh, first of all, uh, I said this at the. I think I said it somewhere. I can't remember where I said it, but I was, I was at a global consultation on theological education last uh, year and. And I saw, I heard this presentation, and, and actually Janet had, uh, Dr. Clark had seen him in uh, Vancouver at a, at a similar consultation, and had said I needed to introduce myself to this man named Dr. Las Newman. And uh, sure enough, he came up to, him, to me and introduced himself, and then informed me that he was a Tyndale grad. Uh, and we had this long conversation. Uh, it's been wonderful to have him here. He received an honorary doctorate. I'm going to let Dahlia do the introduction because uh, she knows him and she's been very excited about them coming. But uh, I, I just I do need to say that if you're interested, there's a global um, brown bag lunch. It's a global brown bag lunch <laughs> uh, that's going to be meeting tomorrow. And you're invited to uh, where Loss will be talking about some of the, the things that his course has been uh, focusing on and, and so if you're interested uh, there's we'll get you the information but uh, it that where is that happening 1008 1008 so you're invited at noon uh, to come to that but Dahlia <laughs> why did you introduce him? <laughs> thanks it's really a very great pleasure for me to introduce dr. Lassels Newman uh, Lass is a former boss of mine uh, when I first graduated from university he and I worked together in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in Jamaica. And he's partially responsible for me coming to Tyndale. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but <laughs> he told me so much about his, his days at OBC that when I was looking for a place to do my further studies, I decided to, to come here. So I'm very grateful to Lass for having pushed me in that direction. Lass is um, one of these very international people He's Jamaican, but he seems to spend most of his time in the air, going somewhere else. He, um, he has been and still is on the leadership of several international Christian organizations, including IFES, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, Scripture Union, and the Lausanne Committee for World Evangelization, to name only three. I'm sure there are many more. But it's really um, been a pleasure having him here this week. And we're working him very hard because he spoke at both graduations, he's teaching a course, and he's doing the brown bag on Thursday, on Wednesday. So um, sorry to work you so hard, but we're very glad to have you come speak to us now. Uh, thanks, Dania, and thanks, President Gary, and thanks, Joan, for inviting me to speak in chapel. It's a real honor, and uh, a privilege of mine to uh, share with you um, in this uh, brief moment that we have together in chapel. Uh, my wife Margaret is with me, and Margaret is from Coburg, Ontario. We were married in Coburg 34 years ago this coming Sunday. Uh, it was a long time ago. And, uh, and uh, thank you. Right? But Margaret teaches at the university in Jamaica and was able to take time away from her teaching responsibilities to be with me here this week. And I want to thank her for that. Uh, some of you were, uh, I suppose, able to attend the graduation ceremony on, on Saturday, but I suspect most of you were not there. 
So um, some of the things I said then, I'm going to say now, if you were there, uh, never mind. But <laughs> um, uh, and uh, if you've never heard it before, that's fine, too. Um, I'm going to be speaking from um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, um, the mission of the 72. The theme I used for the graduation was um, a Christian mission in uh, an age of extremes. And that's the theme I want to speak on uh, in chapel today. But I'm using a different passage, the passage uh, in Luke's Gospel, um, our Lord training, equipping, and sending out 72 uh, missionaries. I'm also using the theme of the age of extremes and speaking about Christian mission uh, in an age of extremes. The term the age of extremes was uh, invented by uh, this uh, very uh, important historian of the 20th century, um, Eric Hobsbawm. Um, Hobsbawm is of Jewish parents. Um, he was born uh, and raised in Alexandria in Egypt, and, uh, but also traveled uh, to Europe and grew up in, in Vienna and Berlin and then moved on to London, um, where he studied at Cambridge University and later became a distinguished member of the British Academy and has written very significant books, the history of the 18th century, the history of the 19th century, and what he calls a short history of the 20th century, which he described as the age uh, of extremes. But uh, Hobsbawm has left us uh, an understanding of uh, the 20th century and um, its implications for the 21st century in which we live. And among the things that um, uh, Hobsbawm says in his book is that the 20th century is described as the age of extremes because it was a real time of extremes, where on the one hand, um, there was significant progress in human civilization, uh, significant progress in uh, material terms. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the, we, we, had, we had a situation in which the world experienced what he described as total war um, in, in the 20th century. We have the extremes of the rise of tremendous wealth in some parts of the world and tremendous poverty and degradation in other parts of the world. And so he went on in this, uh, in this book to describe the, um, the phenomenon of the extremes in which we live uh, in the 20th century. And I asked myself if Obsbaum were to look at the Christian world, to look at the state of the church, to look at a Christian mission uh, in our world today, would he, how would he describe uh, the state of Christianity? Would he see Christianity as part of the age of extremes, where on the one hand, we have a prosperous church through a gospel of prosperity, the significant megachurches booming right across the world, uh, in the global south, in Brazil, uh, in, in Africa, uh, and elsewhere, of course, in, in, um, in, in Korea, and, uh, and also in the global north. We have... Um, large churches, significant churches, and within these churches, people are experiencing joy and salvation and liberation and, and holiness in ways that are very different, almost to the other extreme from Christians in other parts of the world. So on the one hand, there is a, a prosperous church around the world, but on the other hand, there's a suffering church. And we know the state of uh, persecution that is being meted out to Christians, particularly in the global south, um, in, in India. Um, in Africa, particularly in Nigeria, where the Christians and the Muslims are at constant war. Um, throughout the Middle East, um, throughout South Asia and Central Asia, Christians are being, 
being uh, put under severe stress and strain and persecution. Some are being killed. So we have a church, a global church, that on the one hand is prosperous and full of joy and, 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 and vitality in faith, and on the other hand, we have some churches that are almost underground. I remember uh, being in Morocco um, to speak to a student uh, gathering. These students from sub-Sahara Africa who were given scholarships to study in, um, in, in uh, Morocco. They would come together once a year and uh, from different parts of uh, Morocco, from Fez, uh, from, from Rabat, uh, from different places, and they would have a Christian conference. And I was invited to go and speak uh, to this group. So I traveled from London to Rabat, arrived and was met by a student leader who drove me uh, four hours to Ifran, where they were meeting, almost up in the mountains. And as we arrived at this conference center, uh, we, we turned the corner, we drove up, and there was a car parked at the entrance to this Catholic retreat center. And my student friend said, um, uh-oh, we've got trouble. And uh, so I said, what is it? He said, you stay right here. The police were there ahead of us, um, awaiting our arrival. And sure enough, we parked. He said, you stay in the car. He went out and spoke to them. They wanted the list of all the students who were going to be uh, attending. And uh, we thought, well, we, they, he was given a list. And we thought that was it. He would leave. But no, he stayed. The police officer stayed. In fact, there were two of them. And they stayed for the three days that we were there, listening to everything that we said. And, um, and the students, what struck me was how the students just continued to worship and, and rejoice and praise God and just continued as if, um, nothing unusual uh, was taking place. Uh, and that's how they survive in, in a place like, like Morocco, where it is very difficult to, to, to witness, to share your faith, to evangelize. Moroccans, native Moroccans, are not uh, allowed to um, have contact with uh, Christians from a point of view of uh, being evangelized. Um, Christians um, in, in North Africa are suffering in the Middle East and so on. So, here in uh, Luke's Gospel, we have a situation where Jesus was uh, training his disciples uh, in mission work. And so he chose 72, um, Luke tells us. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town place where he was about to go. This is uh, Luke 10, in verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. And then Jesus says this, Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. And when you enter a house, first say, Peace be to this house. If the head of the house loves peace, your peace will rest on that house. If not, it will be returned to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for workers deserve their wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you're welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and you're not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. So um, teams of two, 36 teams went out. 
to do mission work. And then they returned. Uh, Luke says that the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then he turned to the disciples and he said privately, Blessed are your eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. So how do we learn from um, this account in Luke's Gospel about Jesus training, commissioning, sending out the mission of the 72 and their return to, to report what had taken place. What do we learn uh, from this? Well, we talk about the prosperous church, um, symbolizing uh, because God wants us to have more cash, uh, a little uh, comical way of, of seeing um, the prosperity church. But um, becoming a millionaire God's way, you know that book? I don't know if any of you read it. Uh, uh, getting money uh, to you, uh, not from you, and so on. We have not just a prosperous church, but we have a suffering world. Um, and um, a very painful uh, a picture of, of children suffering extreme hunger. And um, we know that uh, this is, was the case in the famine in Ethiopia. We know this is the case in, in, uh, in camps in Sudan. Uh, we know that there are people around the world who are, are unable to find food uh, to eat. Children suffering around the world. This is a suffering world. In cases of extreme poverty um, in, in Egypt, in Peru, um, in so many parts of the world, people are trying to eke out an existence, trying to find a way of uh, surviving. We have uh, a city dump in Jamaica, in Kingston, um, it's called Riverton Dump, where all the garbage, all the solid waste of the city gets dumped into this place. And in the solid waste are children. Children were born um, to uh, families, and these children are severely deformed, um, are, are not wanted by parents, and are dumped in the garbage. And a Catholic uh, priest, uh, one senior, uh, Rankison from Trinidad, uh, decided to start a ministry where he goes to the dump, the garbage dump, and picks out these children and takes them to a place, a little place nearby, which is called the mustard seed, uh, mustard seed community. And there you would have volunteers come in and just to play with these children and to work with them and to see how um, they can be rehabilitated to life. Because as a Catholic priest, he's pro-life. He believes that uh, every human being 
made in the image of God, should have a chance to live. And so this is what he does uh, for his ministry. And he's built several of these uh, communities, mustard seed communities, across Jamaica and um, also into Haiti. Um, Father Rankisun has been doing this work. Um, we talked about the persecuted church uh, around the world. It's a map um, showing uh, where Christians are located. Um, if anybody is interested in this and the issue of religious liberty around the world, you can go to um, www.thepersecutedchurch.org. So what lessons can we learn from this mission of the 72? Uh, lesson number one, the call to ministry and mission is a radical call to engage the world with the gospel. This is what the 72 returned and, and, and expressed. They returned, Luke says, with joy, and they uh, shared with Jesus. This was fantastic. We loved mission work. Um, we, we, we saw some fantastic things happen. Um, perhaps before going out, they were a bit fearful. We have no identity from the, no, no, no information from the gospel as to the identity of any of the 72. We don't know who they were. We don't know their gender, we don't know their age, we don't know um, who the 72 people were. Um, all Luke tells us that they were sent out two by two. 36 teams went out to do mission work in the towns and villages, and then they returned to report, to give feedback, to share. Um, it's a good training um, lesson that we see the master missionary, the master trainer, Jesus himself, uh, uh, leading uh, these disciples. And um, so they return with joy, and it says, even the demons submit to us in your name. Isn't that fantastic? You know, we, we saw some tremendous things happen, uh, they say. But what lesson would they learn? As Jesus said to them, you know, that was great. I'm so glad you had an experience. And I saw uh, what was going on and how wonderful it was. But he says, that was not the point. Uh, what was the point? He says, you should rejoice. Not that the demons are subject, not that there was amazing phenomena, a, a spiritual encounter, and tremendous things happened. It was wonderful. Well, you should be glad that your name is written in heaven. You've had the privilege of being part of my mission, being part of God's mission uh, in the world. The privilege of a mission-focused life. Um, two things about this passage. One is that Jesus was saying to them, both in the brief, both in the instructions he gave them, the advice he gave them before they went out, was saying, listen, mission is risky business. You're going on mission, but just be warned, it's risky business. What were some of the risks? First of all, mission work will be always under-resourced. Human resource. We won't have enough uh, people we always have too few people doing too much work. And uh, he says, yes, you are to pray that they, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And you are to pray that the Lord of the harvest might um, send forth uh, more workers into the harvest field. So you are going to work in, an, in a situation where there's a lot of work to do, and there's not enough uh, hands, uh, we don't have enough people working. So one of the risks in mission work is that uh, it, it will struggle with resources, particularly human resources, but every other kind as well. Another risk is that uh, it, you, 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 will, you may be unwelcomed. Um, don't expect it because you're going out as a missionary that everybody will say, oh, welcome, nice to have you. Jesus said, you may go to a house and, and you say, peace be to this house. 
And if the person there is a hospitable person and returns the peace, good for you. Enjoy it. But don't expect. It may be that um, the peace will not uh, be returned to you. And in that case, you leave and you wipe the dust off your feet as a warning uh, to them. So you may be unwelcome. That's a risk that missionaries take. You may be unwelcome. Uh, the other risk that uh, Jesus uh, pointed out uh, to them is that um, you may not succeed. You may actually fail uh, in, in, in your work. Um, you are to go and to do these things. You are to heal the sick. You are to do um, uh, some tremendous things that I'm commissioning you to do, but you may fail. It's a risk you take. Christian mission is risky business. There's no success. Success isn't guaranteed uh, in mission. But Jesus, on the other hand, not only says it's risky, but it's rewarding. It's rewarding. They came back, they reported, and Jesus, of course, pointed out to them that, um, that uh, they should rejoice that their names are written in heaven. But he also says this. He said to them, he turned to his disciples and said privately, Blessed are your eyes. Because you have seen what prophets and kings wanted to see, but did not see. And to hear what you hear, that did not hear. What a privilege that you have had to become involved in this uh, work. Lesson number two. Christian ministry and mission are radical challenges to risk-taking. We live in a society, I was saying um, to the graduating class, 2013, that we live in a culture that is risk-averse. Um, I remember at my days at Ontario Bible College, my roommate Peter Munnings, who did go with Wycliffe to Papua New Guinea uh, as a missionary, but he was the head of the missions committee. And so we had a, house, we had a room uh, in um, Walmer Road, in that apartment building in Walmer Road, and, and, and we would have planning meetings in there for our mission, mission work and the mission committee and mission conferences that we had at uh, OBC. And so we've invited missionaries to come and to share with us, to live in residence, and to share with us, to learn from them, and so on. So um, a wonderful opportunity uh, that we had, we had then. But one of the things that we, we learned, but that uh, we, we, we have to um, take risks for Jesus' sake, and to risk our lives. And we remember he was the greatest risk taker for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He knew what the end was. And he suffered. And he died. He, as Paul says in Philippians, he that was with God gave up the privilege of God and risked everything, came to earth in the incarnation and gave himself in the atonement to uh, be the savior uh, of the world. So he took some risks. But there were rewards. There were rewards. Christian mission is risky business. It is rewarding business. And so I ask in our culture of uh, risk, risk aversion and risk protection, I'm not saying that we should, and, and Peter would also say that you're not, you shouldn't take foolish risks, unnecessary risks, but we cannot live in a culture and that is so wanting to ensure uh, um, everything that we do that we can never take risks for God. And the final lesson, uh, Christian ministry and mission are radical reminders of the rewards of obedience. We're called uh, to know God 
through his son Jesus to surrender our lives, to offer everything uh, to him. And um, when I left Ontario um, Bible College, the only thing I knew was that I was going on to the University of Waterloo uh, to complete some parts of my education. Um, but I had no idea what the future uh, entailed. And um, my final year, uh, Margaret and I met at Pioneer Camps, and uh, we were working with university. She was at Master, and I was at Ontario Bible College. And in those days, Ontario Bible College was a very conservative place. I was the president of the student body. Um, Margaret was an extraordinary woman, um, which, which I admired in her. Uh, she, at McMaster, was the secretary of the Africa Student Association. Never been to Africa. Uh, <laughs> the only European uh, in that association. Uh, she took some risks of, uh, <laughs> of becoming involved. And, and, and uh, I admired her courage. And, um, and something happened at McMaster. In fact, it happened to all the universities in Ontario. The government of Ontario raised student fees. And um, so the African students and many others decided to have a, a march on Queen's Park. And so Margaret uh, was part of that march. Uh, and she came to Queen's Park. And then, I, unknown to me, um, that she was in the city. Um, after the march, she showed up at Blorence Banana at OBC. And uh, I was the president of the student body, and I had to uh, uh, be careful about my association with these political types. <laughs> and so I remember when she came, it was a very awkward moment <laughs> for me. And uh, we uh, went elsewhere to have our conversation. <laughs> but uh, but uh, we have to take risks. And she taught me a lot about risk-taking. Uh, one of the risks she took was to marry me. <laughs> I hope it's been rewarding. I have no idea. <laughs> God calls us to himself and to be reconciled to him and to surrender our life to him. And one of the things that um, I want to say to you is that you um, should use your education for the kingdom of God and for the common good. Invest yourself in God's project in the world. Whatever he may call you to do, uh, wherever he may call you to be, um, do that and be that. Um, and, and he was the pioneer, as the writer of the Hebrews uh, in the passage we use on Saturday says, yes, fix your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Follow him. And uh, he will lead you. It will be rewarding. The reward of a mission-focused life. Our churches are called to be missional churches. To engage the world for Christ's sake and in his name. Uh, may God bless you here uh, in uh, Tyndale. I congratulate President Gary. I pray for you, my brother. <laughs> but God is doing some exciting things. And it's been a privilege to be in my own case, like the bookends, you know, uh, to the history of Tyndale. Because in my final year, in 1976, um, as a student council president, I had the privilege of serving on the board. And we were then deciding to relocate from downtown to here, to this place. So all the discussions at the board level and the tensions and the issues, the struggles and so on, uh, that was my final year. And now where God is leading you in a new journey, no, I can say, with, with, certain amount of confidence that no one then 
would have thought that God would lead you in this new direction as he is today. So now I congratulate you on the expansion of the school and it's a privilege to be here at this bookend of the journey of Tyndale. May God bless you. I pray for each one of you that uh, you will uh, find the joy of uh, knowing God and serving him uh, in your life, in your families, in your communities, in your churches. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being involved with you in your work in the world. Each one of us is made uh, in your image, and we have been redeemed by your son, Jesus, and been given the privilege to uh, associate with him and with one another in his body, the body of Christ. And we pray that as he did, he lived his life focused on the mission that he was sent to do in the world. So too, we would focus on the mission that you've called us to do. As the mission of the 72 went out uh, in obedience and with the training that they had and uh, expressed themselves in work of Christian mission, so too may we go out from this place uh, to make a difference in the world. In the name of Christ, amen. Mm-hmm.